Folks, uh, welcome, Pastor Eli James and Dan from Georgia, and this is going to be part two of our study on Genesis chapter three. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to go into a, a, a study because I've been getting a lot of questions from people recently as who initiated the two seed line doctrine or the serpent seed doctrine. And uh, my answer has always been Gerald L.K. Smith, who was a Klansman uh, based in Shreveport, Louisiana, and a very famous preacher, uh, uh, had radio shows, uh, millions of people listening to his radio shows. So, uh, And he uh, apparently taught it to Swift and Comparé. But just this morning, I came across this article here, uh, unintentionally, about William Branham, who was, uh, I believe he had a church right here in Chicago, but it was a multi-culti church, but it said in this article here that he was taught the serpent seed line doctrine by a guy named Roy E. Davis. So, uh, Dan, you want to pick up the story here, uh, William Branham histor- historical research? Sure. Okay. Preacher behind the White Hoods. <laughs> okay. So before, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, go, go ahead. All right, okay. Before William Branham led the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle, and during the time, Roy E. Davis was causing quite quite a stir in the Jeffersonville, Indiana, and Louisville, Kentucky area due to his criminal and civil suits. William Branham and George DeArc were elders in Davis's church, and it can be assumed that they aligned with Davis's doctrinal positions at the time. One doctrine that the Ku Klux Klan alleged was the idea that the original sin in the Garden of Eden was a sexual union between Eve and the serpent. Built upon this foundation was the notion that African Americans were the lesser race, paving the road towards convincing recruits of white supremacy. Roy E. Davis's rank in white supremacy groups such as the KKK and the Knights of the Flaming Sword, Christian identity doctrine would have been a focal point in his meetings. Okay, but it would not have been called Christian identity yet. You know, that, that terminology, uh, hard to say <clears throat> who invented that term Christian identity or Christian Israel. Back to you. 
early versions of William Branham's stage persona appeared to to exclude and even outright reject Christian identity. Do you want me to read this quote by? Yeah, uh, by yeah, okay. yeah. Take it down to where uh, he quotes uh, Irenaeus against heresies, because we, we want to demonstrate that the early church fathers actually taught this. Back to you. Okay. Now it's been said, and I hope that my colored friends that's in here will excuse this remark because it's absolutely not right. The first time I ever met anyone in my life after I had been converted, I was I met Brother George de Arc and them down there, and I was walked and the Lord led me to a little place. And they were discussing where the colored man came from, and they were trying to say that the colored man, that Cain married an animal like an ape. And through there came forth the colored race. Now that's wrong. Absolutely, that's wrong. And don't ever stand for that, because there was no colored or white or any other different. It's just one race of people unto the flood. Okay, so and, he apparently believed the idea that Adam means all races, and you know we're gonna we've been refuting that notion all along. We're gonna continue to refute it today because we're gonna go into Jason Blaha's uh, study, a beast with a hand and uh, show that the that those expressions, beast of the earth and beast of the field, are references to hominids of the non-white race. Back to you. Then after the flood in the Tower of Babel, when they began to scatter out, that's when they take took their colors and so forth. They all come from the same tree. That's exactly right. Adam and Eve was the father and mother earthly of every living creature of human being that's ever been on the earth. That's right. Black, white, pale, brown, yellow, whatever color you might be. And this comes from William William. Brannon, 1957, October the 6th, questions and answers on Hebrews number three. But that's Jewish doctrine. That's what the Jews taught. Okay. I disagree with that 100%. Right. So anyway, that's now apparently, this was 1957. So, uh, but he learned uh, his, his ministry, I believe in Chicago, was in the early 19 the teens of the early 1900s and uh, wh- when and if he changed his doctrine well I'm not sure but uh, please continue because uh, we're, we're getting into uh, Arkansas where uh, Shreveport Louisiana you know that area where, where the Ku Klux Klan was very strong and apparently this doctrine actually originated with Cl- with the Klan back to you In 1958, the country was strongly divided on the issue of integration of black and white children into schools. Nine African-Americans had enrolled in Little Rock Central High School at the end of 1957. During the course of 1958, the issue of integration went all the way to the Supreme Court. The KKK and other white supremacy groups were actively recruiting in Little Rock, Arkansas to block integration and had successfully convinced the public to keep the schools segregated. This became a key battle for civil rights in the United States, an event in the civil rights timeline known as the Little Rock Nine. The Federal Bureau of Investigation was working undercover in Little Rock, Arkansas at that time and found Roy, Reverend Roy E. Davis at the center of the integration protests. The very same day of the vote, William Brannan introduced his Christian identi- identity doctrine to the public. It came only a few months after he denied the sexual union between the serpent and Eve. Branham rebranded Christian identity <clears throat> with his own title, the serpent seed. Okay, so apparently Branham uh, invented the term the serpent seed 
must have later rejected it or taught some kind of you know weird version of it. But it was apparently Roy E. Davis who was the inventor of this idea. And apparently this had been floating around within the Ku Klux Klan for some time. But Roy E. Davis was, I don't know if he ever wrote a book on it or a tract on it, I don't know. But you know, I think we're tracing it back. To, this would be the turn of the previous century, around 1900. Okay, back to you. Okay, just like it was on the serpent seed, but it's absolutely proven to be right. I got papers right here out of the paper where women right now, and even in the great some of the great dioceses, have got pictures of the original, a snake crawling on a woman's leg. <laughs> and okay. just in how it goes around her, <clears throat> she has all kinds of sensations and things something a man could never touch her with, with this huge snake wrapping around her and so forth. That's exactly the truth. And it's going worse and worse and will get worse. Serpent, which he was not, he could have, he could not have had a sex affair with her when he was a serpent. And that comes from William Brandon, 1965, February 21st in an article entitled Marriage and Divorce. Okay, so uh, when he first starts talking, it sounds like he's taking the serpent doctrine literally, because he's talking about a serpent wrapping itself around Eve, right? But then he says, no, it's not. It could not have been a snake. It had to be a humanoid. Please continue. Interestingly, Arrhenius, whom Branham claimed to be one of these seven church-age messengers, rejected the notion of Eve mating with the serpent as hearsay. In his book, Against Hearsies, Arrhenius states, Since the father was incorruptible, he, Lalabath, who formerly called himself the father, was a liar, and that, while Anthropos and the first woman, the spirit, existed previously, this one, Eve, sinned by committing adultery. So actually, Arrhenius doesn't refute that. Arrhenius taught it, <laughs> right? He says that uh, this one Eve sinned by committing adultery. She couldn't commit adultery with Adam. Had to be with some other humanoid, right? And (laughs) it couldn't have been with a literal snake either. No. I mean, that's just common sense, really. Right. And and Branham is actually denying that that was a literal snake, although the quote that's put here, he was a preacher and he, um, he didn't have proper grammar, you know, so this is a you know, a, 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 a printed version of one of his... No, actually, this is what? Uh, is it a sermon or is it an article? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, he didn't have proper grammar, and so it was probably tough to transcribe some of his sermons. In, in any case, the uh, it's, it's very obvious that many of the early church fathers taught that Eve uh, was seduced by some sort of being, and that's what Irenaeus here is teaching, okay? So that, uh, that, that this one Eve sinned by committing adultery, okay? So, so that, uh, the, that's probably where the two-seed-line doctrine originated from the clan, and I would say uh, I'll have to do more research into it, but it looks like is Roy E. Davis is the one who taught it first, okay? And he taught it to William Branham, who, you know, taught his version of it. Okay, so, now the interesting thing that, uh, you know, continuing on with uh, our study here, it's very important that the, this idea 
that the beast of the earth, as presented in Genesis chapter 1, and the beast of the field, which appears in Genesis 2 and 3, especially in Genesis 3, 1, where we, you know, we spent the whole show last week just doing Genesis 3, 1. So, but we need to get a proof. Any, who, anybody who doubts that these beasts, these Che creatures, in, this, in these two expressions, beast of the earth and beast of the field, are not bipeds. This article by Jason Blaha should shed your uh, doubts, okay? So please continue, and I'll share this with the people in the chat room, okay? Do we want to pick up with Genesis 3-2 right now, or do we want to keep No, no, uh, uh, let's, yeah, Beast with a Hand by Jason Blaha. Oh, okay, okay. let me, let me yeah. get there. Hang on right. a second. Okay, <clears throat> and I'll put the link into the chat room here. Okay. Well, hang on. I got yeah. behind here. Okay. Yeah, it's in your uh, uh, chat area of, of Skype. But while you're looking, I'll just start. Uh, I got it. Oh, no, you got go. it? Okay. All right. Very good. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, we're not on surface. We're <laughs> on Beast with a Hand, right? Okay. Yeah, by Jason Blaha. And uh, now I did a show on this subject, a solo show, in July of uh, 2019. And so when I did a research, a search on this article, this article is the first thing that comes up. And then my show about this article is the second thing that comes mm-hmm. up. So uh, that's good. It means that, uh, that, uh, that that message has gotten circulation on uh, Google because that's a Google search engine. But uh, I'm sure it'll come up uh, on any search engine. Okay, I got okay. it. Sorry about okay. that. I just yeah. got behind here okay greetings to you and yahweh yeshua in this bible study is my intent to clarify what the scriptures say on the subject of man and beast it is of the utmost importance that we make the distinction between man and beast and learn how the scriptures pertain to these two forms of beings separately as well as their relationship with each other those of you within the identity community will readily accept what the bible tells us of this subject and you may have already found this knowledge on your own On the other hand, those who do not study the scriptures in the same detail as those of us who hold the key of David and call upon the name of our father Yahweh may not be as receptive to this crucial understanding of the scriptures. If this be the case for you, then I ask that you put aside the teachings and doctrines of men that you have been taught in the establishment churches and open your hearts and minds to the Holy Spirit and word of Jesus Christ, Yahshua, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one being. As always, with all of my writings, you will notice that this Bible study uses the word Yahweh in the place of the Lord in all of the Bible quotes. This is not meant to confuse those who are unfamiliar with this word. Those who study Hebrew know that placing the words the Lord in the place of the name of God, Yahweh, in the English translations of the scriptures was a big mistake, considering that the name does not actually mean Lord. By changing Yahweh to the Lord, we reduce the name of the one true God to a mere title. And one must also bear in mind that the name of Baal or Baal means Lord or Master in Hebrew. You can confirm these facts for yourself. While reading the story of Moses in the Mount, you may have come across something strange. Exodus chapter 19, verse 13. There shall not an hand touch it, Mount Sinai. 
but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. I shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. A beast with a hand? Perhaps you are thinking this is a mistranslation, or perhaps it means touch in general rather than with an actual hand. Well, let us see what Hebrew, the Hebrew word hand was translated from. It comes from the Hebrew word yad, which is in the Strong's Hebrew word number 3027, which means an open hand as opposed to a closed one. How can a beast have a hand? To answer that, let's go back to the book of Genesis, in which the entire foundation of both the Old and New Testament is laid. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. In other words, bluebirds do not nest with mockingbirds, and sperm whales do not mate with blue whales. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let, not, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Let us bear in mind that these days are not literal days, but periods of time in which Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Let us take a closer look at this phrase, beast of the earth. It is translated from the Hebrew words, ke kai except for verse 25, in which it is ke kai adama, aretz meaning country, earth, field, ground, nations, land, wilderness, which comes from the Strong's Hebrew word number 776. Adama meaning country, earth, husbandry, or land which comes from the Strong's Hebrew word number 127. Okay, it's interesting because uh, my understanding is, is red dirt, <laughs> Adama, you know, as opposed to Adam. But yeah, this, this is close enough, all right? But usually that word Adama includes the, the definition red. Let me check that out in my Strong's Concordance to see if that's the case. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Take a look at this word che, which is Strong's Hebrew word number 2416, which means alive or a living creature. Now we will further explore Genesis and find out what Yahweh did after, much later, he created che kai Eretz. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and God said, let us, yes, it says us, but that is another topic of another study, make man which comes from the Strong's Hebrew word number 120, Adam, a human being, from the root number, from the root word of Hebrew word number 119, also written as Adam, to show blood in the face, flush or turn rosy <clears throat> in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, saying unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth 
and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Once you start looking at the scriptures in the original tongue they were written in, it puts a new spin on things. We have been taught from the time we're old enough to sit in the pews at church that all two-legged speaking beings are descended from Adam and Eve. However, what the average Christian fails to recognize is that through careful research of the scriptures, one can determine how long ago Adam was created. The greater majority of biblical scholars agree that this was somewhere between 5,500 and 6,000 years ago. Don't you find it interesting that scientists, surely you've heard Louis Farrakhan speak of this, and archaeologists can prove that the Negroid race is over 40,000 years old, or that the great nation of China documents itself as being 8,000 years old, and in fact documents the Great Flood, which was in fact a localized flood, which we, which we will address before we are done with this study, that biblical scholars estimate as being between 2300 and 2400 B.C. that almost reached their land. There are only three basic races of humanity, according to most scientists, the Negroids, the Mongoloids, which are most Asiatic, Asiatic and most American Indians, the way the Navajos Indians recorded in their history, that around the same time as the Great Flood, that the water level rose dramatically in their land but did not wipe them out. And the other race is the Caucasoid race. All others are variations or subtribes of these three or are Mongolized mixtures of them. If the Negroid race is at least 40,000 years old, and the nation of China is 8,000 years old, the creators of it would have, been, would have to be much older. And Adam was formed only 6,000 years ago. That leaves only you and I, the Caucasoid race. Please note that the meaning of Adam and its root meaning of the same spelling, but different pronunciation. If one takes the time to do a minute of um, a minute amount of research, one can easily conclude that only the Caucasoid race, or part Caucasoid mongrels, had the ability to blush. That's right, okay, and that's basic Christian identity, two-seed line doctrine, okay, because you cannot have a quick devolution of the the race that blushes, uh, coming, having uh, resulted in blacks and Asians and whatnot, from those two who show blood in the face. Uh, how's that possible? It isn't. Especially after you read Genesis 1 and say, kind after kind, <laughs> right? Those that have seed within themselves, and there's no evidence in history, through in science, that a, uh, a particular species, whether it's plant, animal, uh, or humanoid, has ever mutated into something else. Back to you. Hello? I, yeah. Still there? Yeah. Okay. Hello? Can you hear oh, me? Oh, you, you, you blanked out. Okay. Oh, I did. Okay, it sorry. Went, yeah, it went quite blank all of a sudden. I didn't hear anything. Okay. Do you right, want me to pick up where we, where we yeah, were? Yeah, maybe, but maybe I should repeat because maybe other people didn't hear me. Yeah, because I didn't it, hear anything. Okay, yeah. So I basically was saying there's no scientific evidence anywhere that any species have ever mutated into something else. Mutations are always negative, resulting in uh, injury, uh, you know, uh, illness, or death, and it never been recorded in any point in history by science. 
that a positive mutation has ever taken place. Okay, it just doesn't we happen. We see it happening today. If, if evolution, yeah, is a fact, yeah right, it's yeah, all around us. Yeah, yeah, we're we're evolving into liberals. <laughs> <laughs> right, who are destroying the planet. Right, yeah, it's, right. it's It's absolute devolution. Back to you. For most of their lives, the average church-going Christian has been taught by their pastors and ministers that after the great flood, Noah and his sons repopulated the earth and that all the races descended from Noah's three sons. As we well know, Yahweh does not break his own laws of nature. As Branham taught, mistakenly, and as the rabbis teach. Yep, back to you. As he always describes such things as abomination in his word. Can a white woman give birth to an African or Asian baby? not unless she has been fornicating with a Negroid or an Asian. In such a scenario, the child is not a Negroid or an Asian, but rather a mongrel, bearing the DNA of both races. Can a Negroid woman give birth to a pure Caucasian or Asian child, not without such an embryo being implanted by a physician? Did not our father in Genesis see that his creations had multiplied kind after kind and say that it was good? Despite the laws of nature that our Father has so beautifully created, these preachers and ministers would have you believe that in less than 4,500 years, all three of these races have evolved from a common source. Tell an antichrist evolutionist that the three basic races have evolved from a common source with their different bone and muscle structures in less than 4,500 years and see what type of reaction you get from him. Well, they'll probably fudge a little bit. Because they'll, how else can they explain? You know, it had to, had to evolve, right? But from what? There's no evidence they evolved from monkeys. Absolutely none. Okay, back to you. If Adam and Eve were the first bipedal thinking creatures, then look at the following scriptures, bearing in mind that only Adam, Eve, Abel, who was now dead, and Cain were named as existing at the time. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 State, behold, thou hast driven me, Cain, out of this day from the face of the earth, from the entire earth of the immediate area. The word earth is translated from eretz, which we will touch upon later. And from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone, who is this everyone yeah. that finds me, shall slay me. And Yahweh said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slays Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And uh, verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his own son, Enoch. Yeah. If Adam and Eve and Cain were the only human beings... Using a modern definition of the term, how do we account for his wife? At this point, Eve had only brought forth Cain and Abel from her womb. Thus, we cannot say that a mature daughter of Adam departed from the land of Eden to marry Cain. Shortly thereafter, Cain built his city and had roughly as many generations of children as Adam before the deluge. Where did Cain find enough people to construct a city, which he had named and obviously ruled? The answer is simple if you think of the scriptures and the simplicity that our father has written them in from among the pre-Adamic peoples from whom he took a wife. He took them from among the Che Kai Arets. There you go. Yeah, that, that's the only possibility. 
Okay. So, uh, but rather than deal with the flood, we'll we'll do do deal with that another time. Let's scroll down and uh, where he has more examples of uh, Che, Che, and let's see where does that start. Uh, okay. Yes. Yeah, take it down to uh, where it uh, start, starts talking about Genesis seven four. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because, uh, yeah, he, he talks about the flood. We don't need to go into that uh, today. But, uh, yeah, Genesis 7, 4. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the Eretz 40 days and 40 nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from the face of the Adama. That is correct. Yahweh destroyed every living thing that dwelt in that land. There are many verses saying this same thing, and they're all true. For there is no untruth in the word. Allow the Holy Spirit that our Father instilled in each of us to speak to you on this matter as we delve deeper into this subject. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 4, it states there were giants, which comes from the Strong's Hebrew word number 5303, Nephil, meaning a bully, tyrant, or giant. In the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God who were angels who sinned against Yahweh by this act, came in unto the daughters of Adam, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty, which comes from the Strong's number 1368, Geber, meaning powerful, warrior, tyrant, champion, chief, excel, giant. Okay. These were men which were of old, men of renown. These are the antediluvian giants, but did they survive this great flood? To answer this, we only need look in the Bible. Okay. In All right. So, yeah, let's save that. I thought uh, he had more examples of uh, the word beast. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's yeah. Let's scroll down to uh, Genesis one twenty four. Now he's got more examples of the word che and behemoth coming up. Okay. That's what I was wanting to reference. Um, which is uh, cl- close to the bottom. It's uh, almost very near the end. I didn't realize the article goes into the uh, flood to such a great extent. Okay, I got yeah. it. Genesis yeah. 124. Uh, and God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Verse 25, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Okay. And so, you know, we argued that the word beast uh, is a very broad word defined as living thing or living creature. Okay. And it's it, really and that, a horrible translation. Right. It shouldn't yeah. be in there, really. Right. It should, and it, sometimes they translate correctly as saying living creature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So, all right, please continue. Now he's got uh, some examples of uh, the word uh, beast and how it's, uh, how it's used in scripture and how uh, these beasts have hands, feet, etc. Okay. Some of them anyway. Ex- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exodus 22, verse 19. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 15. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall slay the beast. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 16. 
And if a woman approaches unto any beast and lie down there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, is, is a woman going to approach a lion <laughs> or a tiger? <laughs> you know, uh, well, let's not go there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 23 and 24. Neither shall thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. Now it's interesting, the word confusion, uh, it means you know, uh, confusion of uh, genetics. Okay, it's not confusion of mind, it results in confusion of genetics. So I'll see if I can look that word up in Leviticus 18 while you continue to read. Okay, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. A bastard which comes from the Hebrew word mamzer, which means a mongrel or a half-breed, shall not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of Yahweh. Well, I thought Jesus came for everyone, regardless of race. Yeah. Certain, certainly some of you are thinking this. Well, Yahshua did come for all men, Adam, but not for the beast of the field. Let us see where man and beast differ in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Give not that which is holy unto dogs. Remember this part about dogs, and we shall find out what Yeshua was talking about later in the book of Matthew. Neither cast your pearls before swine. These are the serpents who call themselves Jews, who claim to be <laughs> Israel but are not, and are of the synagogue of Satan, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and turn against you and rend you. Verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Okay, just, Ask, to, just to quickly interject here, the uh, word confusion in Leviticus 18.23 is from Tabel, and it says mixture, that is unnatural bestiality. Oh, wow, that pretty much okay. nails it, doesn't it? That it does, sure does. Back to you. Verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8, for everyone that asks receives, and everyone that seeks finds. And to him that knock, knocks, it shall be opened. Verse 9, or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give Food gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them but, that ask but, him? But this is very interesting, because if you confuse the language, you can you confuse the offspring too, right? In, in order to convince us that we uh, need to race mix with the other races, they have to define Adam as being all races, Okay, so with mm -hmm. that one lie comes a suggestion that is permissible. However, from the word confusion in Leviticus 18.23, it says you cannot do that. You cannot do that. Let me go there, and I think the basic point we want to make is, is uh, you know, pretty much understood at this point. But here, let me just read uh, verses 22 through 24, through 25 here, and actually through 26. 
All right. Thou shalt not lie with mankind, but that's not Adam. That is Zakar. Animals, male, of another, it's a, implying a, of another species. Okay. Thou shalt not lie. And that's, again, a tra- bad translation. Ma- mankind. All right. The, it simply means male, a male kind of whatever species. As with womankind, okay, so this is the, uh, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. Well, men are supposed to lie with women, okay? But thou, Israelites, are not to lie with, uh, okay, so, I'm sorry, no, this is a prohibition against uh, homosexuality here, okay. Verse 23, neither shalt thou lie with any beast, and that's from Behemoth, to defile thyself therewith, neither shall any woman, and Isha, that's a female, stand before a beast, again, behemoth, to lie down. It is confusion, talking about uh, race mixing, confusion, unnatural bestiality. Verse 24, defile you not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. That is, the Canaanites have been defiled by mixing, miscegenation. And verse 25, And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomited out her inhabitants. This is why he instructed the Israelites to exterminate those Canaanites, which the Israelites failed to do. Verse 26, ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger. Now that stranger comes from uh, Ger, okay, not from Nachash. (laughs) Oh, by the way, that uh, that word Nachah, I have to go back, uh, is very similar to Nachash. Okay, I'll have to revisit that. Uh, we'll do that after the show. Uh, that sojourneth among you. So, Ger is the people of our own race. Okay? So, th- that's where we're at, folks. We need to understand the language of Scripture and get it right, because otherwise we're teaching utter confusion. Okay, so, now let's go into the mystery of the serpent seed, which, because uh, we want to talk about this, we want to do a preface to Genesis 3.15, and we should get there today. If not, uh, we'll pick it up next week. But this is a really excellent article. Uh, the author is not named, but the website is rmillivo.tripod.com. And so, if, but if you just type in the title, The Mystery of the Serpent Seed, it should come up in your browser. But I will share this with people in the chat room. This is a really good article. Let's let's do it. Let's do it, Dan. Okay. And okay. the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. 
For years, we have been taught and believed that Adam and Eve, our first parents in the garden, ate an apple from the tree in the midst of the garden, and through this act of disobedience, the whole world plunged into sin. Why should it be an apple when apples were never mentioned in the Word of God in, the reference, in reference to the Garden of Eden? Although the Bible speaks that they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but never can we find in the entire scriptures that it was an apple that had caused our transgressions and fall. It will be difficult for many readers to believe this, but of a truth it was sex or adultery with the serpent that caused the fall of Adam and Eve, through which sin came into the world and brought each of us under its curse. Here is, what, here is where we receive the true revelation of the serpent's seed, and here is what really happened in the Garden of Eden. The word says that Eve was beguiled by the serpent. She was actually seduced by the serpent. Satan took advantage of the serpent's physical characteristics to use him to beguile Eve. Remember that it was Lucifer's ambition to build himself a greater kingdom than Michael did in heaven before he was kicked out on earth. And still he wanted to pursue his evil plan in this world after that. And the only way for Satan to accomplish what he wanted to do was to, was to enter the serpent in Eden even as he entered by evil spirits into the swine at Gadara. He could, not have had, he could not have a child directly by Eve, as did God by Mary. So he entered into the serpent and then beguiled Eve. He seduced her, and by her did Satan have a child vicariously. Cain, the seed of the serpent, who bore the full spiritual characteristics of Satan and the animalistic or sensual fleshly characteristic of the serpent, and a murderer too. It says in Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. This beast was so close to a human being, and yet was pure animal, that he could reason and talk. He was close to a man. He was almost man. He was an upright creature and was somewhat in between a chimpanzee and a man, but closer to a man. He was so close to being human <clears throat> that his seed could and did mingle with that of the woman and cause her to conceive. Before Adam ever had a carnal knowledge of Eve, the serpent had that knowledge ahead of him, and one that bore of it was Cain. Cain was of, born of, begotten of, that wicked one, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Amen. Notice what God said to the serpent in the garden. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. If we give credit to the word that the woman did have a seed, then the serpent must have surely had a seed also. If the seed of the woman was a man-child, apart from the man, then the seed of the serpent will have to be in the same pattern. And that is another male must be born apart from human male instrumentality. Okay, well, so we're, we're you know, in basic two seed line we teach it was a fallen angel who was capable of producing offspring just as the nephilim were the offspring of the fallen ones in genesis chapter six okay same concept back to you and the seed of the woman was literally god reproducing himself in human flesh so the seed of the serpent is the literal way that satan found he was able to open the door to himself into the human race it was impossible for Satan, for he is only a created spirit being, to reproduce himself in the manner which God reproduced himself. 
So the Genesis account tells how he produced his seed and introduced or injected himself into the human race. When this illicit act happened between Eve and the serpent, God cursed the serpent. He changed every bone in the serpent's body so that he had to crawl like a snake. Well, that's well, that's Lord, metaphorical. <laughs> that's, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, go ahead. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So he'll be cursed even more than beasts of the field. Okay. That's right. Yeah, okay. And and they are. Jews are cursed more than blacks, Latinos, and, and uh, Mexicans, and what have you. They are. They're the most evil species that ever existed, subspecies or whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. They're also the most devious. Yeah, there you go. Science can try all it wants to, and it won't find the missing link between man and animal. God saw to that. Man is smart, and he can see an association of man with animal and tries to prove it out of evolution. There isn't any evolution, but man and animal did mingle. That's one of the mysteries of God that has remained hidden. But here it is revealed. It happened right back then, right back there in the midst of, of Eden, when Eve turned away from life to accept death. Immediately after eating the fruit, remember that we are the fruits of our mother and father, they quickly knew that they were naked. And they hid from God and made aprons of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Okay, so Genesis. what does eating an apple have to do with nakedness, right? <laughs> Nothing whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Surely this must mean surely this must speak to our understanding that it was sex, not eating apples. Also take note that after this affair, God did not curse Eve by punishing her with more apples to eat, but said, Unto the woman he said, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband. This tremendous act has brought forth the advent for man's sexual reproduction, which was never God's original plan, because God just speaks his children into existence, and they come forth out of the dust, just like the way he created the first man, Adam. The fruit or result of Eve being sexually known by the serpent and Adam was that she conceived both Cain and Abel. The truth of the matter is that Eve had in her womb two sons, twins, from separate impregnations. She was carrying twins with Cain's conception sometime previous to that of Abel's. To those who think that this is not possible, let it be known that the medical records are replete with cases where women have carried twins who were of separate ova and separate insemination with the fertilization of the eggs being days apart. And not only so, but some of the records show that the twins were fathered by separate males. Recently, worldwide coverage was given to a Norwegian mother who was suing her husband for support for herself and her twins, one of which was white and the other black. She admitted that she had a Negro lover. The two conceptions were about three weeks apart. In Beaumont, Texas in 1963, the records again set forth a multiple birth wherein pregnancies were many days apart. In fact, so much that the woman almost died along with one child in childbirth. And those are called fraternal twins. Where that, uh, but they're actually, there should be a separate word where the twins come from different fathers. 
I don't know. Heteropaternal super fecunduction is the actual scientific name. Right. Of that. Yes. Twins from two different fathers. Yeah. Amen. So it's, so, it's scientific. It's it's happened yeah. many times. Yeah. So they're not even fraternal twins. Identical twins come from the same father. Fraternal twins usually from the same father, but the heteropaternal stuff that's two different, different fathers. fathers. That's right. Back to you. From that time on, when Satan has successfully injected his seed into mankind, there has always been twins warring in the scriptures. <laughs> Good we point. Can see, yeah. We can see Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, Ishmael and Isaac, Moses and Pharaoh, Judas and Jesus, to be the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, having the enmity one with the other. Yeah, and so obviously that prophecy, which we'll get to in this series, Genesis 3.15, the enmity, because our species fell. We lost the Shekinah glory, and uh, she conceived in sorrow, and so did our species conceive in sorrow to the point that Noah had to destroy all the people of Adam in that territory, uh, except for Noah and his seven kins, kins people. Okay? That's the sorrow that's being talked about here. It's not just her sorrow. It's the sorrow of our species. Back to you. It is amazing that Jude 14 records that Enoch was the seventh from Adam, which confirms that Cain was really not the son of Adam, but the son of the serpent. The genealogies of Adam was on this wise. Adam was first. Seth was second. Enos followed by Canaan. Mahalil, Jared, and finally, seventh, Enoch. Notice that Cain was never mentioned in the list of the Bible as a son of Adam. And Abel, of course, was never mentioned because he was murdered by Cain and did not have any descendants. Very good. This Excellent has been point. written to bring your attention to this truth, which was revealed by the Lord to his prophet, William Berrien Branham. Oh, okay, here's it, Branham again. All right, very interesting. Okay. It is suggested for a fuller explanation in greater detail that you listen to Brother Branham himself preaching this anointed sermon on magnetic tapes, or read the printed sermons in the, in the spoken word books concerning these basic truths of God's Word. Please do not let your reasoning or church theology reject the truth of this revelation, but let the Lord Jesus Christ give you a clear understanding of what you have read. It is never also intended to reason with doctrines of men but rather to state facts to which you are urged to refer in the Word of God, which is the final authority. Okay, so apparently Branham learned, yes, thank you, superfecundation. Uh, so Branham apparently taught the, the truth of the, uh, you know, the, the two seed lines, but because he later, later on had a mixed-race congregation, he watered it down. Okay, but I think we have come up with the... Uh, the, the true foundation of the serpent seed doctrine, and that is uh, Roy E. Davies, uh, I think, uh, I forget the name now, uh, who uh, taught it to uh, Branham, and probably also taught it to uh, Gerald L. K. Smith, uh, because they were both Klansmen, and, uh, but uh, I don't think that Branham was a Klansman, not to my knowledge. I never heard of him being a Klansman. So, okay, so uh, that, I think, clears up the mystery. That was an excellent, really excellent article. Okay, I didn't know it came from uh, the Branham uh, Church. Very interesting. Okay, so uh, let's go through Scripture now. Okay, so uh, we left off with Genesis 3, 1, which is worth reading again. <laughs> okay, and we'll just pick yeah. it up from there. Okay. 
Then Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Okay, so now here's the, the really important phrase here. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. Clearly refuting the uh, Fink slash Emmaheiser doctrine that Yahweh did not make these beasts. He did. These Che of the field. Yahweh made them. Irrefutable. Just as it's irrefutable in Genesis 1 where it says male and female, he created them. Okay, the male and female Adamites were on the earth in the, in the seventh day, or sorry, sixth day. No doubt about it. Undeniable. Back to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay. So we so, have two separate commandments here. We have it. We yes. should not Eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Mm-hmm. And I want to reference Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1, where it talks about uh, God telling Ezekiel to eat of the roll or the scroll. So this eat is a figurative meaning. Right. right. It's not a literal eating. It's yeah. a figurative. So it's some type of knowledge here that, that, that uh, this eating right. means. Yeah, and uh, and again, you have to read very carefully. The same thing here applies to Genesis four one, because Eve is speaking here. But but please continue with your point. Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, the the touching. Now that's a, a separate commandment altogether, and um, that yes, that um, uh, that comes from the uh, Hebrew word naga. Right. And it actually means to to lie with a woman. Right. And it, it's related to the word nachash, right? Because sure in the is. in the Hindu scriptures, the naga are the fallen ones. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So okay, let's back up to verse two. And the woman, that is Eve, said unto the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden." So she is assuming that we're just talking about literal food. Okay. She's assuming that's what he, what the serpent means when he's addressing her. But then, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Okay, so there's a fruit that you should not partake of, which is a better expression, neither shall ye touch it. Well, I mean, what kind of fruit that you eat can't you touch or shouldn't you touch? <laughs> that right? would be kind of difficult to eat it if you can't yeah. right? Yeah, right, unless you're apple bobbing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still going to touch it with your face. So right here, people should stop and say, well, what, what's going on here? Well, there's two different kinds of eating going on here. Okay? One means literal eating, and that's Genesis 3.2. And the other means, as you say, the naga type of eating, okay? And uh, so if you touch an apple, you don't die. It's that the vast majority of fruit, literal fruit that you eat, you don't die. You may get sick if you eat the wrong fruit, right? But not by touching it. 
That's crazy. So here, even the word touch probably has a, yeah, naga. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so it, but if you, if you start, if, if a white woman starts touching a black man and vice versa, you know what that leads to. <laughs> okay, so you're not even supposed to touch it. Back to you. Verse 4, and here we have our first lie of the Bible. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you, you, you won't suffer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, please continue. Yeah. Verse 5, for God does know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, that's another lie. Another lie, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God doesn't know that. <laughs> well, now the word here is Elohim. Okay, so there there may have been you know, because this is after the fall of Lucifer. The loss of we don't know when the fall of Lucifer occurred. That could have been eons ago. Okay, so that uh, this could be a reference to the rebellious Elohim. Okay, which he represents. He's speaking for them. Okay, that could be a true statement if that's what's intended. But certainly Yahweh Elohim never intended that. So that's that's how most people take it. That would be a lie. And we can see from these verses that Adam and Eve were created to be immortal. That's right. That's right. It wasn't until they disobeyed God that they even had to suffer death. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I was going to quote some passages from the Kabbalah because they're really juicy. <laughs> but there, there's not, uh, we don't have time for it today. But uh, so I think we get the picture now that what's going on in these verses, unless you read these verses very, very carefully, word for word, and look at the Strong's Concordance meanings of these words, you will never get it. You can't gloss over this stuff. It has to be... Point for point, jot for jot, tittle for tittle, and, and get it and right. That's, that's why we've spent so much time. Yeah, it's right. so important to get off to a good start in the, in the Bible so yeah. the rest of it will make sense. Yeah, and but these first four, five, six chapters of Genesis are so crucial. You know, first of all, these words are just being introduced, and you can't go by definitions of modernists of these words. You have to investigate the Hebrew and the Greek, and get it right, okay? So that's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. So, uh, okay, uh, and read Genesis uh, 3, 5 again. For God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Okay, as gods. Well, here's proof that uh, Yahweh and uh, Elohim cannot possibly be the same Word cannot possibly refer to the same being as Clifton Emmerheiser insists. And so I will uh, bring up that quote. I will quote Clifton Emmerheiser directly next week to show how off base he is with these teachings. All right. Thank you, brother. Uh, great show. Thank you. And, okay. And uh, hopefully everybody understands where we're going with this. We have to understand Genesis before we can understand the rest of the Bible. Praise Yahweh. See you all next time. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Talk to you next time. Yeah. Yahweh bless. Bye. All right. Take care, everybody. We will see you next time.